You're listening to The Homeschool Dropout. I'm your host, Mike Roberts. Let's talk about bridging the gap between homeschool and the professional world. All right, everyone. We're back with another episode of The Homeschool Dropout. Today, we have Seth Yur joining us to talk about his homeschool experience. Seth, thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to have you on. You have a really impressive resume. In your undergrad, you studied history as your major and you got a business minor. And then you went on to graduate school shortly afterwards at the University of Utah. And you got a JD and an MBA as a joint degree, which I think is really interesting. And then shortly afterwards, you were out in China for about a year, I think getting masters of law in Chinese law. And then you ended up doing sales at a finance company. So you have a lot of letters behind your name, kind of exciting. How do you flex those on other people? <laughs> I, I usually try to avoid flexing those on other people, you know, mostly because I don't know. I think education gets a lot of a, uh, it frankly gets too much credibility in our society. And I, I don't know, it has weird effects on people, you know, people, oh, I'm an MBA and people, you know, some people like respond by creating a little distance, like, I'm not sure about you. Uh, some mm-hmm. people are like really impressed w- with it. And you're like, you know, you actually are overly impressed with this. You probably shouldn't be as impressed as you are. So I don't hide it, but I don't lead with it. I like that approach. I found the same thing in my master's in mechanical engineering. Honestly, I, I was just talking about this at lunch with a friend. I think the biggest thing I learned from a master's is that I have less respect for people with a master's now. 100%. I'm just blown away at the <laughs> caliber of people doing this. I know. If you ever go to law school, you're like, trust me, there's an enormous number of lawyers out there who are complete idiots. You should never trust them. You know, okay. don't trust them with any of your stuff. <laughs> so it terrifies me because I would look at my peers like, you should not be walking out with a degree. <laughs> you should not be. And you're going to go engineer things? Like we need expertise here. You know, we need like excellence. So it's just funny. I'm in the same space where uh, I I do have higher education and I just don't see it as as this like, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. The other thing too that I'll say is, and this is just a good, this is a, a good practice in selling yourself or in selling anything. But if there is something impressive, you don't lead with it. You kind of bury it. And then you allow people to slowly warm up And then as they discover more and more nuggets or good things, and they're like, they become more and more impressed the longer they talk to you. So that's, you know, start off humble and just allow things to develop. It's like being like an ogre. You have layers, right? You have to like slowly peel off. Exactly. Uh Like an onion. Like an onion. onion. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for getting there. Um, I was talking to another friend and she always says, if you have to say it, it's not true. Where she's just like, your quality as a person should speak through naturally and just kind of come up and you shouldn't have to leave with those things. Anyway, I could go on and on about my thoughts in higher education, but why don't you give the listeners a background on your education? You were homeschooled. Yeah, so I'll give you the, the, the short version. How about yeah. that? Yeah, you know? that works. Uh, which is, you know, I went to public schools. We grew up in Vegas until middle school and moved to St. George in middle school. So I was in public school all through elementary at the time, so I'm, I'm the seventh of 11 kids, so there's a lot of us. My mom had been an English professor at college, so she had her master's in English, and she had stopped teaching and everything when she started having kids. And so I think she felt 
yeah, a lot of parents feel incompetent. Like, I don't know if I can teach, but you know, she already taught at a college level and she's like, well, I guess if I can teach them, I can teach my own kids. So she started off small and she started off just homeschooling. <laughs> she had a, had a brother who was small for his age and extremely feisty and aggressive. You could say he had small man syndrome, you know, and he was getting into fights like crazy at school, you know, because uh, he just wasn't going to take the disrespect. <laughs> so eventually, I think he was on the verge of getting expelled. And my mom's like, I'm going to homeschool him because I happen to know he's a really good kid, but he's just having trouble socially. So it started, I don't know if that's a normal path or an abnormal path. You know what I mean? A lot of people just do it because they, they want to get their kids out of school. But, you know, and sometimes people do it because they're like, oh, my kid is struggling in school. And that wasn't, that was maybe how it started off, but it didn't lead into that. Right. So anyway, she brought him home. And so she started a tradition of, oh, I'm going to homeschool all my kids when they're in sixth and seventh grade. Right. Started with him. And then after a few years, right when we moved from Vegas to St. George, she and my dad decided, you know what, we're homeschooling all of our kids. So my, my oldest sister had just graduated. She was a valedictorian. So, and my other brother was in line to be valedictorian, the one who, who was quitting his senior year. And so it's like we were, as a family, doing well academically. But anyway, we all homeschooled that year. Then we continued to homeschool. So we homeschooled for about three or four years. I homeschooled all through middle school. I homeschooled part-time. So for the first half of the day, I was homeschooled. And then I would go to three periods a day in ninth and 10th grade. And I did that largely so I could participate in sports. And the school didn't really care because they were getting funding for me. Hey, if you're here three periods a day, we get money for you. So whatever, right? So that worked. Then in, let's see, when was it? My mom got cancer when I was in middle school and it started getting worse and worse. And so around 10th grade, it was like, okay, this is the last year of homeschooling because mom's too sick, you know? So I went back to public school for my junior and senior year. I see. Okay. So you started in like seventh grade. Do I have that right? Uh, sixth grade. Yeah. In sixth grade, you started homeschooling. You were totally homeschooled until ninth grade where you started going part-time. Yeah. And then you went full-time in 11th grade. 11th grade. Yeah. I see. Interesting. Do you know what really informed your parents' choice to homeschool originally? Um, yeah, I think it was probably two different motivations, if we're going to be honest. I think my dad felt like these public schools are crap and I are teaching my kids <laughs> crap and I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. think that was my dad's motivation. And I think my mom's motivation was the feeling that, I mean, there's 11 kids and we were just scattered all over the place. You know what I mean, it's like running here, running there, like, six soccer practices, two baseball practices, this, that. She was like, you know what? We need to simplify our life. We need to cut everything out that's unimportant and non-essential and just bring the focus back to our family. I think it was a combination of motives. But uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what was driving that. Did you feel, how did you feel as a kid being pulled out of school? Did you feel comfortable with that? Did you, did you know that you were choosing a path that was weird or different from your peers? Uh, I definitely felt weird. Okay. And I felt very weird. I think it's less weird now. It used to be, oh my gosh, you're homeschooled. Homeschooled people are weird. So I definitely felt that social pressure, but we did had just moved from Vegas to St. George. So what was good about it was, is I wasn't like leaving a friend group because I'd already left them. We moved, right? What was bad about it was I had no new friend group. So it took me probably three years to really develop any kind of what I would call real friends. So, you know, there were challenges associated with it. People are always like, oh, you won't get any social if you're homeschooled. But it's kind of like, you know, 
I don't agree with that, but there is a, an element of truth to it, which is it was hard to make friends, not being in school, not going to the same activities that everybody else in the neighborhood was going to. You know, it, was, it, it did make it more challenging. In the long term, I think it's a trade-off that was worth it, but it is a trade-off. I really like that phrasing. It is a trade-off. I myself, I've always kind of struggled making friends. It's not been supernatural for me. And so I think in or out of the system, I would have struggled making friends. And I was talking to a coworker actually that was homeschooled and she was saying that she enjoyed her homeschooling experience, but regardless, there is some isolation that happens. Just like you mm -hmm. can't escape it. There's some that happens and it's just part of the trade-off. And so those years where you didn't have like this, this really solid friend group, how did you get through that? Were you resentful at all that you weren't giving these opportunities to make friends like your peers were having? That's a good question. I, that, that thought has actually never even occurred to me okay. when I was resentful of my parents. You know what I mean? Hmm. Or other things, right? it, was just, it was just a decision that we're making. You know what I mean? So I never thought about it like that. But, you know, it's during the time, of course, I was lonely. You know what I mean? I was lonely. I felt like a loser. I was in this new place. Yeah, you know I mean, like you're an adolescence. I mean, come on, like 12 to 14 is like the most vulnerable time in your whole life. You just feel... Every 12 to 14 year old feels like a plucked chicken walking around naked, you know, <laughs> like, oh, you know, naked to the world. Right. But what's wild about that age is you look at your peers and you don't you don't feel like anyone else is a plucked chicken. Exactly. You like you're the only one. It's it's such a mind game at that age. <laughs> I know. I have two children that age right now. So I'm like right back in the thick of it. And so I see the and I was, you know, I was the same way. Right. Like you're just you're insecure. So I was insecure. But, you know, honestly, there's. The takeaway that I've taken from that that's stayed with me because the insecurity passes as you make friends and you realize you were just, you know, an adolescent. But the lesson that stays with me is like, you know what? It's okay to buck the crowd. It's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be alone. You do not have to have, you know, a, a great big social crowd of people telling you you're nice or great or anything like that. And in fact, I think it's unhealthy if that's the only thing you've ever experienced. Like everybody needs to feel like an outcast sometimes. It teaches you empathy and resilience and life lessons, humility. So that's what's actually stayed with me through the years. I've felt a lot of those same things, Seth. What's interesting about your story is at a very similar time in my, in my growing up years, we moved when I was about 14. It wasn't across states. It was just about 20 minutes south, but it severed me from any connections I had because we were homeschooled, right? I just, I just couldn't connect as well. And during those years, I got very good at being on my own. I was alone a lot, you know, alone with my thoughts, doing school, just like working on my own stuff. And in my adult years, I think I'm much better at being alone than my peers, which is really interesting. And I think another effect of it has been, I, I am more able to stand on my own on maybe like controversial issues than I think my peers are. Where I'm like, oh, I've, I've been weird my whole life. Yeah. I've been weird. I've been out on the fringe forever. This is not new to me. Like standing on my own is not new to me. And so I, I, I resonate with that experience a lot. What were some of the things you really loved about homeschooling? I mean, I was homeschooled with all of my siblings and I have two older brothers just older than me and three younger brothers just younger than me. So, I mean, in many ways, it was like when you got tired of homeschooling, you'd run in the backyard and play sports. <laughs> or you'd go, I mean, just hang out with your brothers. My brothers became my friends, right? Like they were really my only friends during that time period. And so, you know, you certainly come closer as a family. Being home is nice. Honestly, when you're a kid and you're getting rushed through class after class after class, and you're never really learning something. When you have a quiet, like basement to sit down in 
and you're reading good literature, or your mom is like telling you to read a poem and like asking you to interpret it. Those are like, those are experiences that last with you. You know, you develop a love of literature. We, I developed a love of literature, a love of learning, a love of a lot of things, you know, language during that time period. What is it? Einstein who says that um, curiosity and imagination are the true marks of intelligence. And I think that when you force feed a steady diet of pre-curated material that's passed through 500 filters before it gets to the student as being regurgitated by a teacher. And this is no disrespect to teachers, but one size fits all doesn't often work, right? And personal attention, especially during the formative years of like middle school and high school, I think is invaluable. There's a person investing you who cares about you and can see the way that your mind is developing and they're correcting little logical fallacies that you're thinking, little emotional life lies that you're embracing. A person who can sit there and actually not just educate your mind, but educate your heart, teach you things, help you to become a better person. And those, I mean, that moral foundation of who you are as a person will incredibly outlast any type of educational experience you might be having in a different environment. I totally agree. I think one of the really cool aspects of homeschooling is parents have a stronger aptitude to transmit their values to their children. Right. And even if I, I sometimes see homeschooling in two major buckets, you typically get like the very religious homeschoolers and then the very hippie homeschoolers. And <laughs> yes, <true>. fascinatingly, <laughs> they live on kind of weird, isn't it? It is. They live on opposite ends of the political spectrum too. So, I mean, I don't want to get into that too much, but it's been interesting to me digging into all this. And, and my thoughts are, even if I don't agree with the values being transmitted, I think it's something really special that parents get to do is transmit their values. It's part of being a parent. You want, you want at least your children to see what your values are and perhaps choose them down the road for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool. And especially if you are not providing your values, something will provide the values. And school has its own values that it will provide. And you may align with them, you may not. It's just an awareness thing. You can still go even if your values don't align. But I think that awareness is really potent and it can help make homeschooling more powerful if, if you just have kind of that cultural awareness of the dynamics of the different systems. Yeah. What's the um, Henry David throw I mean, it's something like, you know, let's see if I can remember, jewels and presents or apologies for gifts. The only true gift is the portion of thyself, you know? Hmm. You know, the only true gift that you can give your children is your time. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to imprint onto them more values and let them see who you are if you want them to buy into your values and adopt them. And I think that just having an enormous amount of time with your child, I mean, there's something to be said for just that. Let me, let me say one more thing, which I think is interesting because I think it's common and probably resonates with a lot of people. During My mom set up all this curriculum and inevitably in the middle of the year, you were just like, it was all gone to pot. You know what I mean? People are sitting around the pajamas and no one's getting their stuff done. <laughs> Mom's all frustrated. You actually have to read, you know, 16 pages in this history book today. And you're oh, like, okay. Been there. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like my mom always felt like a failure at the end of the year. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, we missed so much. We didn't do all the stuff. I, I feel like I'm failing my kids, you know? And uh, I was actually quite worried when I was going back to school because I was like, holy crap, am I going to be way behind? Because mom's mm-hmm. right. I did skip a ton of assignments, you know? I knew I'd slack off. And I got back to school and I was about two grades ahead of everybody. And I was like, how did that work? You know, I, that makes no sense to me. But kids are smart. And honestly, 
the kids who are going to school are learning way less than anybody thinks they're learning. Oh man, way less than we think. I think sometimes we become fixated on air quotes, traditional education, where there's actually very little that's traditional about it. This model is very new. It's in the last hundred years or so. It's a, it's a vestige of the industrial revolution, treating people like products on an assembly line. That, that's the model of public school. Not to say that it, it doesn't provide value or there isn't richness to get there, but that is the base model, you know, that we all go through the same thing at the same time. We're all the same thing. And so too, I wasn't nervous going back to school. I always had kind of like a, a, I was always intellectually leaning. I think everyone in my family will tell you that. So I was excited and I didn't feel behind one bit. I felt I was right there with my peers at least. So I want to kind of maybe dig into some changes that you see would have been helpful. What could have been different about your homeschooling days that would have made it better for you or more fulfilling or just a more wholesome experience? Can you think of anything? Yeah, I will say the one gap that I had in my homeschool educational experience that I actually did feel going back to public education was in math. And, you know, when I, when I, I left public school, you know, they test you every year and I was always testing, you know, off the charts in math, you know, I was, I was pretty good at it. You know, when I came back, I was like almost completely average, you know, and what had happened is I skipped basically pre-algebra and geometry. So when I went back, I was just straight into algebra. Ah. I like, okay, I can figure this out. And I did figure it out, but there was a lot of gaps. There was just a whole bunch of things I'd never learned. I'd never been taught. And they continued to plague me throughout my college career because math builds on itself, right? So I'd come to a certain concept and I wouldn't understand the concept at all because I'd never learned some of the foundational concepts. So, you know, I don't know what the answer is to that. And I've thought about it quite a bit, but math needs to be taught by somebody who is actually really good at math. You can't tell a, you know, 12-year-old, go get that Saxon math book and read it and you'll understand math. No, they really won't. Now, Khan Academy, there's some things online that may have changed that. They seem to be pretty good, but you also, you need to be able to check their work and see if they actually understand what they're learning. So that one I think is probably the biggest challenge for a lot of homeschool families was for us. I agree. I think homeschoolers naturally lean really well into humanities, literature, history, Mm -hmm. economics, you know, some of the softer sciences. But the STEM subjects tend to suffer a little bit, homeschoolers. And I think it's for reasons you indicated. Math is highly cumulative. It builds on itself over and over. I, I never quite grasped logarithms and exponentials. And to this day, when I'm going through like a log, like say a graph is log based, you know, it's on a log scale. I'm like, okay, wait, what? Like, how does this all work? And that is, it's just blurry. Like in my mind's eye, I can see that it's blurry. And so I totally agree. And, and I think with those STEM subjects, it's highly objective too. There is a right answer. You know, with literature, you can interpret and feel it and, and kind of take another angle. And while in math, there may be a lot of ways to get to a solution, there is a solution. And it's critical for a lot of the STEM subjects. You need to have the right answer if you're building a bridge, if you're designing a factory, if you're making something, if you're doing measurements, those numbers matter. And so I do think the STEM subjects tend to suffer. It's interesting. There's more resources. There's Khan Academy. I think tutoring is more ubiquitous. We have, you know, online options now that did not exist when I was. (laughs) Yeah, there was no, 
outstanding teacher there teaching you math. No, no. <laughs> I laughed when you said Saxon math because was everyone doing Saxon math? It, se- it seems like <laughs> every single person who was homeschooled through the 90s had the Saxon math books in their possession. Yeah, I think so. Okay, listeners, a quick word about Audible. As much as I still love reading a physical book, sometimes I just don't have time to sit down and read. That's where Audible comes in for me. I've recently listened to incredible audiobooks like The Power of Habit, The Last Green Valley, and even Harry Potter in Spanish. To get a free 30-day trial of Audible exclusively through the homeschool dropout, go to audibletrial.com forward slash the homeschool dropout. That's audibletrial.com forward slash the homeschool dropout. Well, let's start moving forward a little bit to college. You ended up going to a pretty large university, Brigham Young University. How prepared did you feel? We talked about some math gaps, but were there other gaps in integrating into that high intensity learning environment? So, I mean, honestly, not really. So while I was in high school, so when I started high school, again, in 10th and 11th grade, I knew I wasn't going to be graduating. So I just, I took AP courses and concurrent enrollment. So I was at Dixie doing classes. I was doing AP courses. And then I had basically an academic year between when I graduated and when I went on my mission. So I used that year to, I was like three classes short of finishing my associates. So I had sort of like a halfway house between high school and major university, which was, you know, a junior college at the time. And it was free and I could live at home and I could earn money, you know, and stuff like that. So I uh, did that for about a year. There was a little bit of a transition there, but it had nothing to do with homeschool. It just had more to do with, hey, you're not in high school anymore. Don't be an idiot. That transition, which I think everybody has to go through. And then I went on a two-year mission for my church. And so that really you know, gave me time to grow up and mature. So by the time I, when I got back, I transferred to BYU. And at that point I was really, I was academically ready to compete. And I had a pretty good idea of the fact that my grades were going to matter. And uh, also I'm sort of competitive and I think most people are, but I was competitive and I wanted to prove that I belonged there, you know? So I think I graduated like a 3.9 or something like that. Okay, so it was pretty smooth for you. No big hiccups. You just went right into it. You had some buffers to get you there. But once you entered those more, I guess, elite stages, I don't, I don't love that word choice, but you were okay. Yeah, I felt like I was, you know, if anything, I was worried when I went to BYU whether I was going to be smart. You know what I mean? Because like, hey, I'm smart in high school and I was smart at Dixie, but I'm at BYU now and these people are freaking bright and I don't know if I'm going to be very smart, you know? I was like, you know, a lot of these people are not nearly as smart as I thought they would be. And I think part of that was obviously a function of the fact that I was studying like crazy and working hard because I was like, I'm going to get grades. So I was doing everything. I was fully committed. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to learn that I wasn't quite as dumb as I thought I was. I ran into that a little bit in college as well. I went, I went to the same university as Seth. And I read an article my freshman year that, you know, they're trying to help the freshmen and say, hey, like, there's a lot going on. You might be overwhelmed. I, I don't know. I, it's rarely in my nature to feel overwhelmed. I did feel like there's a lot going on. And the article was like, many freshmen felt intelligent in high school and they get to college and they just feel like they're dumb, you know, like they, because they're surrounded by really exceptional people. Mm-hmm. I didn't really experience that as much. And I don't know if it was because I know I was not the smartest, but I had strong confidence that I could figure things out eventually. That I might not be on the same timeline, but I'd gotten used to like, if I just spend a little bit more time, I'm going to get it. I don't know when, but I'm going to get the stuff down. And so I do attribute that to homeschool 
where I had time to dig into things and I had confidence that I could learn because I had been learning on my own for so long. I would probably say I'd attribute that to family culture. Okay. Homeschool was a function of family culture. Okay. Yeah, I think they're like robustness and resilience and stuff like that. That's that's really taught at home and it stems from parents' relationship and parents' relationship with children and the values that they embrace. I like that actually. Yeah, because family culture heavily impacts your homeschooling experience. I'm sure you've had this conversation a million times, you know, where you're talking to people, oh, you were homeschooled, homeschoolers are weird, you know? <laughs> and yeah, something I always say to them, they're like, I couldn't even tell because you're not even weird, right? And like, it's like a compliment, like yeah. you're not even a weird and you were homeschooled, uh-huh. wow. But I just say, listen, let me tell you, there's a lot of really weird kids in public school. Yeah. And, but every time you see a weird kid coming out of public school, you don't attribute it to the public school system. But if every time you see a weird kid coming out of homeschool, you're like, oh, homeschool. So there's this attribution bias, right? Or confirmation bias, where you certainly assign an attribute to a specific set of experiences. And the other thing I say is, and I hope this doesn't offend any listeners, but it's a message to not be weird. You know, I say, listen, homeschool kids are not weird because they're homeschooled. A lot of homeschool kids are weird because their parents are weird and weird parents create weird kids, whether they're homeschool or public school. So I'm wondering if homeschooling is a good option for you. Am I a weirdo? If the answer is no, (laughs) your kids won't be either. They'll be okay. They'll be okay. Yeah. My parents were heavily involved in their community. And, And like, it was just so clear that we were not going to school, but we were part of the community. I could go on and on about my concerns regarding protectionist and like isolationist homeschooling. I have a lot of concerns there. I see it and I see the effects of it. And I just like, I get really worried about it because it's out there and it is prevalent sometimes. So I, I totally agree. Just weird is such a, a weird word, right? What does it really mean? Because there's, there's a positive connotation for weird, like you were using it earlier, you know, hey, I've been weird my whole life. But I think what you mean is, I have had the resilience to stand outside of the crowd for my whole life. And while I would enjoy and appreciate the, you know, acceptance and adulation of my peers, I'm also okay without it. That's weird, but that's good weird, you know? Yeah, I call it weirdness with awareness. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I know I'm weird. And I've always, when you're homeschooled, you have to be used to being different. You're just different from everyone. And, And that's just the way it goes. And I think it's just... I am okay being on my own. Okay, let's kind of wrap up a little bit here. What advice do you have for new homeschooling families, people who are looking at it or are their knees deep and they're drowning? What would you say to them? That's a hard question because I'm not somebody who thinks that homeschooling is necessarily the right decision for everybody. I think that that's a deeper question and that has to do with, you know, why are you drowning? Are you feeling impressed to put your kids back in public school, because that could be a legitimate instinct that's for real. If you're drowning because you're feeling insecure and like you're failing your child, but you still want to succeed, but you're just perfectionist or you don't think you're doing a good job. I think in that situation, taking a few steps back and getting some perspective is fine. It's going to be okay. Like it's going to be fine. It really is. It'll be just fine. Your kid's going to be just fine. The most important thing you can give your child right now is time, attention, and your values educational stuff will come. In fact, they've done a bunch of studies where they take a child who, uh, this is obviously studies in retrospect because they're not actually doing this, but a child who doesn't go to school at all till the age of third grade, like zero educational experience. 
you put them into third grade with the other children who have been there for the entire time. And by fourth grade, they're basically the exact same level. So, you know, the, the learning impact is far less catastrophic than you think it is. Parents always worry and the mom guilt and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like, guys, it is okay. You know, the thing, the best thing you can give your child in especially our society is a good foundation. Teach them values and morals imprint your values on them. Like the only true privilege, the only true privilege is growing up in a stable two-parent home where you're taught values. Yeah, it's such a launch pad as you move forward. The world will teach you what you need to know. And if you have that anchor, that like solid inner core, you're going to figure it out. You'll have the confidence to figure it out. You'll be, you know, too dumb to know that you could fail. You just go for it. (laughs) And so, yeah, I really like that. And I, I feel similarly. And in conjunction with your family, when we couldn't do homeschooling anymore, there were some really intense things going on in my family. We couldn't do it anymore. So we went in and it is okay. There's so, there's so much weird guilt around homeschooling. When you're doing homeschooling and you start looking at the public system again, like homeschoolers turn on each other. And I just think it's insane. <laughs> I know. It's like, you're going back to public school, huh? Yeah. Like, whoa, like, what are you doing? Like, it's yeah. okay. You it know? is okay. Yeah. We're doing what's best right now. And so yeah, I just, uh, as much as I love homeschooling, I get really worked up when I see like loyalists that are just like, if we don't homeschool, then the world will crumble and our family will disintegrate. Like there are so many ways to learn about the world. Yeah. It's an educational path, not an article of faith. Thank you. It's a path, you know, it is not salvation, you know? And so I don't know, I don't get too sidetracked, but I feel strongly there that do what is right for your family and your student. And if it's homeschooling, do it. And if it's public school, do it. And just like have that confidence to go and do it. And your kids will pick that up. I think that's what I felt that for my parents. My parents were consistently brave enough to keep homeschooling, even at the risk of being the weird family. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your plans with your own children? Do you think you're going to homeschool? Are you homeschooling? What does that look like? Yeah. So I have five kids ranging in age from 15 down to four. I'm homeschooling our eight-year-old right now. Okay. My wife is homeschooling our eight-year-old. I can't really take almost any credit at all, if we're going to be honest. (laughs) And we've homeschooled, let's think, I guess the last five or six years. I can't remember exactly. I think for the last six years, we've homeschooled one child per year. So- Our approach was my wife didn't feel like she could effectively homeschool multiple children at a time. And uh, my kids are pretty high energy and difficult to manage sometimes. And she's like, I don't think many of these are good candidates for homeschooling, (laughs) you know, because I cannot control them when they're home, you know? Okay. And so, you know, one at a time. Okay. So yeah, my, let's see, my oldest son has been homeschooled for a couple of years. He's in public school right now. Uh, My oldest daughter has been homeschooled for, I think, three years. She's in public school right now. My third child uh, has been homeschooled for one year. He's at a private charter school right now, which is really academically challenging. So I actually really like that place a lot. And then my fourth child's being homeschooled right now. And then my fifth child is still basically in preschool. So he's not doing any schooling. But the idea was we hope to give each of the children at least one or two years of homeschooling experience so that they could... Yeah, so we can imprint our values on them so they can feel special, so they can know their lives, so they can you can create that bond, that relationship, a time when they have something that's different, it's just for them. You grow up in a big family, 
there is almost nothing that's just for you. Like I never had one-on-one time with just one of my parents. I mean, it was like non-existent, right? In fact, it was so non-existent that as a child, I didn't even know that was a thing. I never even had that expectation. So sometimes my, my kids are like, I just want to be me. And I'm like, well, you have four siblings, so good luck. Tough so luck. Yeah. Established. Yeah. yeah. Like when I would go to, when I had ball games growing up, I enjoyed it when my parents were there. I just never expected them to be there. There was stuff going on. And I just, I saw some of my friends were crushed. And I, was I like, know. Oh. I had that exact experience. <laughs> and it was, it was so weird to me. I'm like, yeah, my dad's not here. You're like, okay. I mean, I don't okay. know if my dad's or not. Oh, I guess my dad is up there. Oh, yeah, dad's not here. That's you know, nice. it was like, yeah. oh, it's, it's nice if you come. It's not, it's not necessary in any way, but it is nice. Yeah, I'm doing my thing. You're doing your thing. If they, if they align, awesome. But I'm doing my thing, you know? Yeah, so. I got this. I'm fine. Well, very cool. I personally really like your approach, Seth. I just think it's, it's like a hybrid model. It's dynamic. It's personal. It's individualized. And I actually haven't heard this before, where it's a very intentional approach with each child to homeschool and let them get some of that exposure in public school. And I think it'll free up some parents from thinking they have to go all or nothing. That, that it, it, whenever I say all or nothing, I think of a toilet flush, not to be crass. <laughs> but there's no middle ground on a toilet. You're all or nothing. And this is not that. You know, there are grades and like you can step through it. Yeah. I mean, even what I did in high school, which was half homeschool, half public school. Mm-hmm. So you can take advantage of all the good things that public school has to yeah. offer, which is you know, music programs, language programs, athletics, yep, those types of things, some of the social things, but not have to fully sacrifice everything to it. And that's the only thing you lose. High school diploma, take the GED and get it and you'll be fine. You know, it's like, it's, it's zero loss at all. Sure, you don't walk. I didn't walk. I watched all my friends walk. Do I feel badly? No, you're in high school. You will move on. Your whole life is ahead of you. This day does not amount to very much. Okay. Well, thanks, Seth. Really appreciate your time. Love having you on the show. And yeah, good luck with your homeschooling. Thank you. Yeah. And good luck to you. And really appreciate having me on. It's been fun. Hey, everyone. To make sure you don't miss weekly episodes of The Homeschool Dropout, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your preferred podcasting platform.